Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, the pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. A great man once said, job not finished. EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks Odyssey uh, WFAN podcast, an original podcast here. Uh, with the Odyssey WFN, we got so much to talk about because the Knicks are up 3-1 in their series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Knicks taking care of home court, winning both of their home games at Madison Square Garden, both on Friday and on Sunday. Epic, epic scenes from Madison Square Garden. Epic scenes outside of Madison Square Garden after the win. So we'll talk plenty about how they got these wins, some big performances from some key contributors. Of course, Jalen Brunson did his thing, but R.J. Barrett coming up huge in this game. So we'll talk about all the good vibes coming from these awesome big wins from the Knicks to take a 3-1 lead in their first-round series against uh, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Other important notes from this series we'll get into. This is going to be a full Knicks conversation. It's not, we're not even going to get into the other teams because uh, right now this is what it's all about is the Knicks. We're going to talk about only these games. One, you had Julius Randle. Uh, being benched in game four, uh, did not play for the, the rest of the fourth quarter after struggling in that game, struggled for a lot of this series. We'll touch on that. He did not speak to the media, which was very interesting as well. And a key contributor for the Knicks right now is out. Uh, Quinn Grimes um, missed game four. He missed part of game three. He didn't play in the second half with a shoulder injury. So we'll touch on what happened with him and and the Knicks can continue to win uh, with him, uh, send it out potentially, or him being um, on the sideline. So a lot to get to on this podcast, but my guy Tommy Beer joins me as always. Tommy, what's happening to do? Boring weekend, huh? We get a, we, we got anything to talk about? <laughs> first first and foremost, uh, happy birthday to my guy, EJ. Um, Thank you. Birthday over the weekend, and the Knicks gave him quite the present. Two victories, uh, three once commanding series lead. They are on the precipice of the second round, um, but here at the Orange and Blue Bloods podcast, we do not count chickens. Um, until they're hatched. So let's talk a little bit about games three and four. Look a little bit ahead to game five. Um, certainly plenty to discuss. Let's get into it. Let's get it. Thank you, Tommy, for the birthday wishes as always. And yes, this is Orange and Blue Bloods where we talk Knicks. Remember, there's a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you the auto download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. We drop three times a week. Here we're talking game three and game four. We have a preview for game five. We have a recap of game five this week. So make sure you're up on uh, on your downloads here. Hit the auto download feature on your streaming service to catch all of our podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. You can catch us on the WFN channel and the Odyssey Sports channel. So let's begin with 
this series lead we have here. Knicks taking a commanding 3-1 lead in their first round series against the Cavs. Uh, they had a dominant blowout in game three. Knicks followed that up with a 102-93 win in game four at Madison Square Garden on Sunday afternoon. The Knicks, who came into the game without Quentin Grimes, which we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, dominated much of the first half. But Cleveland would storm back to take the lead in the middle of the third quarter thanks to a big period from Darius Garland, who bounced back from a, a wretched game three. Um, a late Jalen Brunson three would put the Knicks up to finish the quarter, so the Knicks were able to at least keep the lead going into the fourth quarter. And from then on, it was all Knicks. Big performances from Brunson. He had a game-high 29 points. R.J. Barrett, again, came up huge. He had a big game three. Followed that up with an even bigger game four. He had 26. Both men carried the Knicks in the fourth quarter. Barrett had 10 in the fourth quarter. Brunson had eight. Josh Hart was he key contributor in this game. He had eight points in the fourth quarter as well. He had 17 for the entire game. It was a rough one for Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell shot 5-18 from the field. He missed all four of his threes. He scored just two points in the final period. Garland uh, ended up uh, leading all of the Cavs scorers with 23 points. He also had 10 assists in the loss. So, Tommy, is uh, I'm not going to say I'm shocked that we're here, but it is kind of just it, when you think about where we were to begin the season or where we were when we began this podcast, to be talking about the Knicks being up 3-1 in a first-round series where they didn't come in with home court advantage against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It is surreal, I think, is a, is a better word. How were they able to get this game for a win? Yeah, I think first and foremost, we got to start with R.J. Barrett. Um, yep. you, know, it, you know, of the things that are shocking, and, and many of them are shocking um, and, and surreal, certainly, um, you know, we expected Jayla Brunson to play really well. Um, you know, Josh Hart, um, Bolin is not a surprise to anybody. Um, yep. You know, Mitchell Robinson, very surprising to you know, expect to play well, but he's played better, exceeding expectations. All yeah. that said, to see where R.J. Barrett was on Friday, Thursday night, Friday morning, um, you know, we, we talked about it uh, on the pot, you know, leading into game three. First two games um, had 21 points on 25 field goal attempts with six of 25 from the floor. Um, nat- prominent national media voices saying not only did he deserve to, um, uh, you know, have his minutes reduced, but, you know, obviously the hot take. He shouldn't be in the game, yada, yada, yada. Um, Two games later, R.J. Barrett produces the two best games of his career. Um, Over the weekend, 45 points on 30 field goal attempts with 17-30 from the floor. Um, We'll get into all the particulars and the reason he was successful and, you know, um, not settling for drives, really effective at the basket, drawing fouls, which was really important, aggressive, uh, you know, when when defenders closed out, uh, he aggressively attacked the basket, um, seemed to play inspired defense because of it, made the right passes, got his foot into the paint, kicked it out, sprayed it out to open shooters, um, so so also helped his teammates. Um, So we'll get into the particulars, but just first and foremost, a a ton of credit to, to R.J. Barrett. He heard all that stuff. Um, that we that everybody was oh, saying yeah. in the city, um, you know, make a break time. The Knicks should trade him. Um, this is he's, he's just not a fit. He can't step up in the postseason. And the first seven postseason games of his career, um, the criticism was justified. In these past two games, Julius Randle struggling, struggling mightily. We'll get into it. Quentin Grimes oh. injured, only plays two quarters out of out of the eight uh, in these in games three and four. Um, Knicks needed a boost in the most in the, in the worst way imaginable, and R.J. Barrett stepped up, stepped up and delivered. Um, so huge credit to Barrett. Um, you know the, the defenders, the supporters of R.J. from the day he was drafted up until the t- t- tip off of game three. Um, you know they're 
the, 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 the rationale for defending RJ was, listen, the kid can struggle, but it's that self-confidence yeah. that he has in himself, that ability to bounce back from poor performances that really separates him, uh, separates him um, from some other players, uh, even talented. Um, you know, it may not be the most athletic, um, but the kid's got heart, the kid's got guts, um, and the kid's got courage, and he put it all on display this weekend. Absolutely. I mean, that was one of the reasons why it was hard for me to jump completely out the window on RJ for this series, because this is who he's been. I mean, he's a guy who could look absolutely terrible, a guy that you feel like you cannot play because of how much he's killing you. And on the switch of a dime can look like an, a future all-star. That That is just who he's been. So when it came to this series, I was like, well, he's playing bad and they're going to have to cut his minutes. He's playing this way. I was like, I kept saying if, if, because my yeah, thing was, Yes. At any moment, it could turn the other way. And it, it's funny because a lot of times we look at R.J. Barrett's inconsistencies as a negative. And, I mean, in many ways they are, especially when he's struggling. But there is something special about a player who can, in the face of that much pressure, going into game three, where everybody is saying, you're the weak link, you're the guy we got to come on. I mean, if you listen to any sports radio station, any podcast, any people talking about it on national television – was that this guy is the reason why the Knicks won't win this series. And for him to then have that game in game three and then to follow that up with now the Cavs knowing that, okay, we've seen a good RJ game. We need to key in on him make sure he doesn't do that again. Come up with an even better game in a more important game that's not a blowout. That's a close game that you need big buckets late down the stretch. Do what he did. There's something special about that makeup. You know, like I would love him to be more consistent. I would love for him to just do this all the time. But uh, there's something – that that is something special. I think RJ deserves a lot of credit for that. It was crazy. It felt like the second half of 2022 season RJ showed up in this last, you know, two games. This is who he was for the second half of last season where he was averaging almost 23 points on 45, 46% shooting from the field. Like he he was this dynamic as a scorer. It was I won't say shocking only because we've seen this before, but to see it in the playoffs was still like, wow. He was really bad and now all of a sudden he looks like he's figured out the Cavs defense. So a lot of credit to RJ. I know he said that he was working on the jump shot on Wednesday of this week, and, and he felt better about it. He didn't make any threes in the last game. It still feels like the first the game three, he made some. His shot looks much better. Even these misses aren't nearly as bad as they were earlier in the series and for the last few months. So that that's definitely one place to begin. But what about Jalen Brunson? I mean, Jalen Brunson, once again, continues to dominate. He had a rough game three. I was harsh on him on game three, and I love JB. I thought he had a, a terrible game three. Oh, game two, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, terrible game two, and I was harsh on him on game two. But uh, he's bounced back for another two awesome performances. Does he look like the best player in the series to you? Because when I watch this, this series, it feels like the Cavs are playing pretty good defense on him, and he's just still getting what he wants. He's making difficult shots. He looks like the guy that, when all, when all the chips are on the line, Nobody in the Cavs has been able to outplay Jalen Brunson, which is what I talked about earlier as the keys to this series about the Knicks being able to outplay their stars. It looks like right now it's the flip side. Can the Cavs find somebody that can outplay Jalen Brunson? So far, that has not been the case. You know, we talked about it. It's been kind of a theme on the pod and throughout the Knicks season is the Knicks have been able to sustain success despite not having a top-tier superstar, you know, one of the 10 best players in the game, one of those guys that can take over a series because history tells us you need one of those guys to make a lot of noise in the postseason. Um, yep. Typically, the team with the best player, that that guy's team wins the 
the postseason, you you win to the playoff series, um, you know, and and in the series it's been Jalen Brunson, um, and and I at this point I guess we shouldn't be shocked. We have six months of of data points that that show that the kid's really special, and just as importantly, we have the first round series from last year when Jalen Brunson outplayed Donovan Mitchell um, in the Utah Dallas game. Um, so now it's it, over his last ten playoff games, so the six games the Dallas Utah series and the four games this Cleveland New York series, Brunson's averaging twenty six point four. 26.4 points, 4.6 rebounds, 4.5 assists versus just 1.4 turnovers. Um, those aren't good numbers. Those are superstar numbers. To do to be able to exceed your regular season production, and his regular season was really good, to be able to exceed that production in the postseason um really says a lot about you know what the what what this what this kid brings to the table. Again, just 26. Um uh, you know, really starting, you know, just that starting that enter the prime of his career. Um, the Knicks, you know, whether they lucked into it or, you know, uh, you know, just found a way, whatever, you know, whatever back channels they, they figured out a way to, to get yeah. Brunson in New York. He's here um, and he's been uh, really, really special and, and really incredible. And, and uh, the front office deserves a lot of credit, um, and, and Brunson deserves a lot of credit. Um, and yes, to, to answer your question, he's been the best player in the series. He's, he's outplayed Donovan Mitchell, and that's a significant, if not the biggest, reason why the Knicks are up three-one. Yeah, and you go back to the Knicks signing him. I mean, I've been saying that you know best signing since Allen Houston '96, and now uh, he's starting to push that in just year one. Year one as a Nick, and this is what it is. I'm, I'm watching Inside the NBA. Last night, and Charles Barkley saying, you know, this is one of the best free agent signings ever, you know, based on what the Knicks have been. And I was much of a, a problem. They had the point guard position, and now Jalen Brunson is playing uh, at Madison Square Garden and lighting it up in the first round of the playoffs in a series that a lot of people outside of New York City were not picking the Knicks to win. And now here they are with the A3 1 lead. Uh, before I get to questions about Cleveland, I do want to take a moment to talk about that crowd. I mean, uh, what what have you seen from that atmosphere at Madison Square Garden and what you've seen from the videos outside of Madison Square Garden after the games? I mean, this – I thought Sacramento wasn't going to be topped in terms of how awesome that environment was, but seeing how the Garden has been, Jalen Brunson saying that he couldn't put into words the, the, the atmosphere that was created, I really felt like the Knicks crowd and that atmosphere and environment they created, I thought that they – I thought they won game three almost entirely. I, I thought the Cavs, to me, looked very discouraged. They looked um, not confident, and they looked intimidated by that crowd. I really did. I mean, you see Garland shooting four for 21. Shout out to my birthday. He shot my birthday date in game three, 421. Like, and, and Mobley missing layups. Guys didn't look like they want to shoot around the basket. I thought they, they won game three, I thought, for the Knicks. And I thought they won the first half. I still think the Cavs were struggling to kind of, understand kind of what they were involved in and in, in the atmosphere garland got him going in, in the third quarter and got made it a game but that next crowd to me was one of the storylines of the playoffs so far it is a real home court which is not something we saw uh against atlanta a couple years ago 100 percent agree yeah garland shooting tour dates is not is not what you want to see <laughs> exactly if, if you're a Cavs fan um yeah two things um the Cavs, uh, first two games of the series averaged 102 points, shooting 46% from floor. Those two games in Cleveland, obviously. Two games in New York, inside MSG. Cavs averaged 86 points per game on 42% shooting. Um, on, on Friday, uh, on your birthday, 
scored 79 points. Only time in the NBA this season. There, there's over 2,500 games played in the NBA this season, regular season and postseason combined. First team to score under 80. They never look comfortable. Um, right into the end of the fourth quarter of, of Sunday afternoon, they just never seem to find their footing and find an equilibrium um, dealing with that raucous crowd. And and I totally agree with you. Um, uh, game three, I yeah, I think that the fans deserve the game ball. Um, you know, yeah. we talked about possibly, you know, real fans, quote unquote, getting um, you know, priced out, but they made their way into the building. Whoever was there, whoever got into that building, um, made it special. The folks outside. Yeah. Um, I, I was. I, I thought back to. I went to school up in Massachusetts, um, and then I uh, went to school in Worcester, and then I lived in Boston for about three years after I graduated from college. Um, this was two thousand one through like two thousand four. So um, the Sox, the Red Sox, are essentially a religion in Boston. At least they were at that right. time. And I yeah. think one of the things that bonded the community, and it's different now. I go back, I have very good friends that live in and around Boston. I, I, I travel back and, you know, I've been there quite a few times since then, obviously. Um, and it's not the same. I say that because there was a community that, that bonded, that united over being this underdog lovable. It's easy to root for the Yankees, right? It's easy yeah. to root for the, you know, the, the, the teams that always win, you know, you know, we make fun of the, the bandwagon Bulls fans and, and, you know, and, and yeah. fans over the Lakers and, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, it's easy to root for these teams that are always in the postseason and if they don't win a championship like Laker fans, woe was me. They didn't, they had a couple yeah. of bad years, you know, um, and it's easy to, to, to be fans of those teams that are consistently successful, but it's difficult to be in, in a relationship where it's not, where you don't get the love back. You don't necessarily yeah benefit from you know the, the the time and the effort that you put in um the product doesn't uh, deliver wins and championships and good feelings and, and sunshine and all that other stuff a lot of rain clouds um the flip side to that is it, it i think it kind of reinforces the fan base and draws them closer together makes them a tighter knit community um and i saw that amongst the red sox fans when the Sox were kind of get, get getting good and then boom broke their heart and then yeah. they obviously we, they had the 2004 breakthrough coming down from 03. And, and it's just, the, again, and, and, and I say that because after the Sox got successful, some of the fans kind of grew resentful of the new influx of fans. They'd make fun of the girls at bars with pink Red Sox. Yeah hats yeah. on that it could that yeah. couldn't you know that it didn't know who Johnny Damon was or you know or, or Kevin Millar or whatever the case might be um so there's there's those type of that there's that type of thing and I get that and that's the kind of feeling the overarching feeling in the garden outside on 8th Avenue where they're setting up basketball courts and people are climbing poles <laughs> it's, it's 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 two decades of pent-up frustration and just looking to celebrate, and and it's a little bit of happiness. Nobody's, you know, nobody's saying that. They, obviously, this is not the championship. It's the first round. They haven't even won the first round series yet. Yeah. But it's 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 some sunshine breaking through the clouds, and it's taking joy and and embracing that little bit of happiness because you don't know when you're going to see it again. Um, because you, they've been, you know, Nick fans have been kind of traumatized to expect the worst. So now to see the good coming, um, I, I think it's it's it. They're just embracing that happiness, and it's it's fun to see. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see. And I think that one I, what I will say is, you know, when people say this is anything other than a basketball town, I always rolled my eyes anyway. But now I definitely will kind of look at them saying, really? I mean, I've seen Jets and Giants win playoff games. I didn't see people running around <laughs> Manhattan taking over the streets. I, I didn't see that. Um, also, I've seen the also, also, World Series. And, yeah. and the Nets and the Nets are an afterthought, obviously. And, and I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. Not only a basketball yeah. town, it's a Knicks town. So let's just let's just make that. Yeah, happen. yeah. The Nets, uh, yeah, they, they're uh, out of the postseason. They've been swept 
And I don't know if anybody even knew, <laughs> quite frankly. I mean, I was talking to my dad, and uh, when they when they when they won when the Sixers won Game Four, he was like, "Wait a minute, so uh, are the Nets swept?" Or they, I, I thought that was Game Three. I'm like, "No, the series is over. It's over. It's done." He's like, yeah. "That's someone who's from New York. We didn't even realize that the Nets had gotten swept. He thought that they maybe there was another game that was going to be played in that series. So yeah, Nets completely irrelevant, and they're out of the postseason. But yeah, anybody saying that this is not a basketball town, I look at them and say, "Did you see that scene outside of Madison Square Garden? Do you see Seventh and Eighth Avenue?" The Knicks won those games. And similar to Red Sox fans, I think that is a good comparison. I think even though there's a lot of pain and misery, there's a lot of loyalty. So what happens is these people who are going to these games, these are people who who have suffered through all this stuff. These are not necessarily people who are saying, oh, I haven't watched a Nick game in 20 years. I'm going to go check him out. Like these are people who watched, you know, Landry Field. Landry Field was pretty good. Watch Langston Galloway or, you know, watch, uh, you know, know, Alexis Fed. Those are the fans that are saying, I watched those guys play, you know, those celebrities that were going to those games, John Malcolm. Those are the same celebrities that were seeing these games. It's not like these are new celebrities that don't all of a sudden never show up. Like, we've been seeing Pete Davidson show up to Nick Gaines for 5, 10 years. We've been seeing John, John McEnroe for 20. Yep. Yeah, John Stewart. These guys have always been at these games. Tracy Morgan. Oh, yep. So so I think that's why the crowd is so great, because even though it is a high price ticket and it is a lot of people that are being priced out. The people who are getting in, those rich folks and those celebrities are getting in, those are people who were sitting through crap too. Yep. And they kept going no matter what. So I think that's why, even though the prices have been outrageous, you're still seeing awesome crowds. And I think, I don't know if it was Mark Berman, but someone said this two years ago, but I think it needs to be said too. And you can speak to it better because you're older than me. But like this crowd is different than the 90s crowd. Like, not that it's better or anything, but like this crowd is more young people. Is people taking over the streets like that wasn't happening in 1994. Like they were scary crowds to play in front of. Like that was not a place you wanted to play, and they were angry, and it was a tough place to play. But this has become like a mix of like that crowd plus this like younger audience that's kind of making it kind of like a zoo atmosphere around Madison Square Garden that I think has added a different element to this Knicks run that we've seen that's made it really fun. Yeah, I think obviously, as with all things in the world nowadays, a lot of it's social media impacted. You know, a lot exactly. of folks are outside 8th Avenue, be outside, you know, 33rd and 8th, trying to hope they get on Sidewalk TV's next clip. Yeah. You know, they want to be the next guy that says, KD, don't you wish you signed with the nerd? No, they want to be <laughs> that guy. They want to, you know, or, or be the bing bong guy, you know. So there's 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 that aspect of it um, that that kind of gets fans charged. Whereas, you know, in the, in, in, the, in the 90s, it was, the garden was insanely loud, but then things would disperse and, you know, people would take the, you know, go down to Penn Station, take the train home, et cetera. Now people... Yeah game after there's people that subway down from you know uptown that'll just go to the after the next win after the game yeah. You know, yeah you see that more and more so um i think that's one of the differences yeah yeah it's, it's been an incredible atmosphere it's an atmosphere i hope they get i get to get a piece of at some point during this postseason i will say just quickly on the Cavs, are you surprised at how poorly they've been playing because the Knicks have played very well not not perfect i mean we're going to talk about some of the, the the missing links we have in this Knicks euphoria right now but what it struck me was just how poorly the Cavs been playing and when when we have whenever there's a playoff series I do like to really read a lot of what the Cleveland folks are saying what they're kind of seeing because it, it provides a, a great context to what I'm watching overall because I'm not someone who's watched 82 Cavs games so seeing that side and seeing how they're covering this they're just shocked they just can't believe how terrible the Cavs are playing they seem to be a little reluctant to give Nick some credit 
But I think that it does – the fact that they're like, wow, I, we haven't seen the Cavs play this poorly all season is shocking to them. Are you surprised how poorly the Cavs are playing? Like, like what have you seen from that side? Because they, they have not looked good in this series except for game two. Pretty much the, the three games they lost, they looked terrible in all of them. Uh, shocked. Absolutely. Um, listen, the, the Cavs were second in net rating in the NBA during 80. That's not a, or the final month of the season. That's not a good streak they had in January. That's over 82 games. They had, they had the second highest net rating in the sport. Um, and that's usually forget record, forget home away and, and leading score points. That's the, you know, that really, you know, analytics guys will tell you, that's a telltale sign of, you know, how, to, how much you outscore your opponent by over the course of yeah. the marathon season. Um, and that Cavs team has not showed up again. Uh, you know, we, we kind of played this this game before, but uh, if I were to tell you, you know, 14 days ago or or the day before game one, that four games into the series, that, that Randall would be averaging 14.8 points, 2.3 assists versus 3.5 turnovers, while shooting 32% from the floor, 25% from downtown, and 64% from the free throw line, okay, quickly would be averaging 6.5 points, 1.8 rebounds, 1.5 assists. Uh, Grimes would be averaging 3.7 points while shooting 18% from the floor and had missed game four due to injury. If I told you all that and that the Knicks were, I, they would just, it would be almost inconceivable that the Knicks would be up 3 1, giving that yeah. two of their three best players, not having lived up, that, not having played up to their regular season standards, have been bad. I mean, Julius <laughs> Randle was awful yeah. in, in game four. IQ, yeah. he's played terrific defensively, um, but offensively, uh, and he's still a net positive. We'll talk about that. But offensively, he's really, really struggled. Grimes was invisible. Can't knock down a shot. Um, yeah. it, so you factor all that in. And for the Knicks to still be up 3-1, yes, a lot of it's Jalen Brunson. Yes, a ton of it is is uh, Josh Hart's intangibles. Mitchell Robinson and, and iHeart playing out the Cavs bigs, immense. Um, and But you, listen, we on the other side of the coin, the Cavs have not been good. Garland's had some great moments, but it's been inconsistent. He was yeah. awful. Um, you know, their, their wings haven't delivered, which isn't shocking. Their bigs, um, Jared Allen has been humiliated essentially by Mitchell Robinson in many yeah. respects. Um, Mobley's been outplayed, uh, you know, top near the top of the league in terms of, I think he finished third in defensive player of the year voting, um, you know, and, and then of course, Donovan Mitchell. Um, I, do I expect him to have a big game in game five? I do. Um, do I, I count so. out? Do I count out the Cavs? I do not. Um, listen, we'll talk about it. I think game five is an important game because if Cleveland can win one, then they come back to the garden and listen, the Knicks, the Knicks will be favored in that would, will be favored in that game six should it come to pass rightfully. So um, most experts will pick them to win based on what we saw this weekend. Um, but listen, it was a, you know, is it essentially a tie game right near the end of the third quarter um, in, in game four? Um, you know, if, if, the, if the Cavs were to get that and could the Knicks win a game seven in Cleveland, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So they could. Yeah. It's not to say the series is over, but then you start getting momentum and narratives start changing. Nick's important for them to keep their foot in their throat and not go Cleveland any life Wednesday night. Yeah, no, I agree. And and when you think about how Cleveland has played, they've been an excellent home team. So I, I would expect them to have another a really solid game at home, especially with the way they played in game two. Um, yes. They should feel a lot more comfortable. And I, I also think that I, I, I thought – the short turnaround between games three and four. I thought they favored the Knicks. I think they were able to ride the momentum from game three, especially when game three now is a blowout. <laughs> like you play that kind of game and like you can kind of just ride how you played in that game right into the first half. And again, I, I thought that Cleveland took how they played in that 
whole four quarters of game three and rode it right into the first half of game four and didn't really get into the series until came the second half, a uh, third quarter there of game four. So I think that that didn't help them out. I think that they could have got two two full days off and they could have really kind of reset and it would have felt like a, more of like a new game as opposed to a continuation of the beatdown they took in game three. So so that will be key, I think, in getting these days off. But yeah, I, I, I'm surprised. I'm, I think I'm probably more surprised at the bigs being this ineffective than I am even the guards. Because the guards have had their moments, but in the playoffs, shots go in, shots don't go in. It, it, star players, especially smaller guys, it can kind of be a hit and miss on kind of how they play. They can have big games. They can have tough games. So I'm not as surprised. We've seen some swings from Garland and Mitchell. I would have expected Evan Mobley to be way more of a factor around the basket, both defensively and offensively. I really thought only game two has been the only game he's really made much of an impact. Um, he's guarded Randall pretty well, but we'll get to Randall. I think a lot of Randall is his own doing. He's missing a lot of shots lead wide open, so I don't, I don't know how much I can give Mobley credit for that. But, you know, you mentioned Allen again. Very little factor around the basket. The Knicks being able to get in the paint at will, um, score at the rim at will in the last two games. I mean, those guys giving them essentially nothing is is what will lose the Cavs in the series if this is going to continue. Like they, Those guys have to have much bigger impacts. They cannot let Mitchell Robinson dominate them on the offensive glass. We had seven offensive rebounds in the last game. I mean, like that, they, that can't happen. And it continues to keep happening in this series. And once you get to game five, the adjustments kind of stop. Like this is a point where it's like, okay, every adjustment that's been made, it's been made. Now it's, these are the teams that you kind of can expect for the next three games. Who's going to win? So if this is what we're going to see going forward, I don't feel good about the Cavs' chances to win this series. I don't think it's over. I'm not going to say that. But they they need uh, rash changes from their bigs. They're going to make this a series for sure. Yeah, listen, and and well, obviously Knicks up through series. They won three out of the four games they played in the regular season. That's an eight game sample size. Um, yeah. and, and the Knicks won six of eight. Six of those eight contests. Um, yeah, Mitchell Robinson seven offensive rebounds uh, yesterday in game four. The Cavs team has a toll seven offensive rebounds. Yeah. Uh, Obi Toppin had five offensive rebounds in game yeah. four. That's more than Mobley and Allen combined. Those those two had, had four combined. Um, again, just getting punished on the glass, uh, 51 to 38, I, I think, or 47. I think it was 40, 51 to 38 was game one. Um, yeah. Game four, I think it was 47 to 33, some along those lines, but again, about a plus 15 rebound margin. Again, um, Knicks are 3-0 in the series when they win the, win the rebound battle and the and the turnover battle, just 10 ter- 10 turnovers Sunday afternoon in game four. Um, another reason, you know, for the success. And and one other thing, as we'll kind of wrap up this first segment, um, yeah. put a ball on it. We started talking about RJ Barrett. Um, uh, yes, he he, he missed the, the six three-pointers he took, but again, that he was nine of 12 inside the arc from two-point territory. And just as importantly, even though he was only eight of 13 from the free throw line, Knicks need to clean that up, by the way. Um, free yep. throws will come back to bite you. You, you leave enough points on the table. Um, but the ancillary benefit of RJ being aggressive, not only does it get his game going, which increases his confidence, which increases the confidence of the team as a whole, it forces bigs to converge, and RJ has done a terrific job of drawing fouls. Third, uh, nine, uh, three minutes left in about three thirty left in the third quarter. Game four Sunday afternoon drives, uh, gets a rebound, uh, a defensive rebound, pushes the ball up in transition, uh, gets underneath the basket, gets Mobley in the air, draws a foul yeah. on him. That's fourth foul. Sends Mobley to the bench for the final th- three and a half minutes of the third. Fourth quarter, nine minutes into the fourth quarter, draws another foul on Mobley. That's his fifth foul. 
a little just under two minutes left, Mobley fouls out on a on a yeah. guess what an RJ drive to the basket. So it was through mm. final three fouls. Um, and when you can get the team's other best defender off the floor and not and and even when he's on the floor, not as aggressive because he's worried about foul trouble. Um, that's a huge benefit. So uh, again, uh, another reason why RJ was so important yesterday. Yeah, RJ was a star in those games, no question. And and if he can continue to play like this, Knicks will be in good position. But um, it's been a tough road go around for one of the other Knicks stars here, Julius Randle. This postseason has played very poorly and his poor play forced Tom Thibodeau to do something we've rarely seen him do as Knicks head coach. Randall was benched for the fourth quarter of game four after scoring just seven points on three of 10 shooting uh, through the first three quarters of that game. Randall has been unable to find the touch throughout this series. As Tommy just noted, he's scoring just 14 points a game on 32% field goal shooting. So a, a rough go around for Julius Randall. He declined to speak to the media after this game. Tommy, is it time to be concerned about Julius Randle this postseason with how he has played? A hundred percent. I mean, I mean, listen, um, uh, listen. The Knicks are three and one despite his struggles, so you know that that mitigates the the, the concern level. Um, that yep. being said, in terms of his individual production and his individual production going forward, um, definitely cause for concern. We've seen. Uh, RJ slip into these funks. I mean, he just looked like he didn't want to be out there yesterday, um, especially yeah. in the third quarter. Um, you know, his, his, as, as inefficient as he was offensively, you know, settling for jumpers, not attacking the basket. He was somehow even worse defensively. Missed rotations, um, just, you know, letting Isaac Okoro drive Okoro by. Okoro just went baseline, yeah, and just went, just blew by him like he was <laughs> standing still. Time and again, uh, just inexcusable uh, defensive performance from Randall. Tibbs tried to uh, intimate that it was he was dealing with the, the, the after effects of the ankle injury that sidelined him for the final five games of the regular season. Um, maybe that's the case. If so, he should have a shorter leash. Um, yep. And and you know and and you know a bigger picture. Um, I was surprised uh, in relation to the the fourth quarter and the benching. I was surprised that so many pundits one lavished. Tibbs with praise for leaving him on the bench. And even during the game, Mark Jackson was like, uh, well, should you bring him back in? This is a really tough decision. For me, it was a no-brainer. Like, one yeah. guy's active in Obi Toppin on both ends of the floor, contributing on both ends of the floor. Um, seems like he wants to be out there, um, giving effort, um, you know, just, just making winning plays. And the other guy looks like he's stuck in mud. So, uh, yeah. you, you take one guy, you know, tip, uh, Obi was plus seven in the second half. Randall was minus seven. And they, they both played about 12 minutes um so my i thought tibbs left randall in far too long in the third quarter i thought it was right. I, I didn't think he deserved to play the, the, the full third quarter because it just wasn't there maybe there was the injury whatever the case is but listen it's the it's the it's game four of the postseason you know like yeah this is you gotta keep on court yeah that's a huge game this is a, a the most important half of the most important game of the season if a guy doesn't have it a guy doesn't have it um so that's kind of you know what i was thinking about um you know listen did tibbs do the right thing by leaving randall in absolutely um, but I just I, I didn't I didn't think it was as difficult the decision as as some. Um, so I, I you know I, I hope that you know hopefully Tibbs learned a lesson you know learned some some valuable information from it. We don't necessarily need to put Randall back in the game to hold on to the lead. Yeah, I know. I think you're right. I I also I thought it was interesting that so much of the conversation conversation became about you know whoa Randall is he going to go back in? What are they going to do? I mean, I think some of that is because of how Tibbs has used him and how right. Tibbs has coached with him. So much of it has been. Regardless of how what Randall does, he could be playing great, he could be playing terrible, he could be flipping laptops, it doesn't matter, he's going back out there. So I think some of the surprise, some of the questions about whether he may go in was because, well, 
Tibbs has rarely done this. Like when there have been plenty of calls by Knicks fans, by Knicks media to yeah. say, hey, there are games where Randall's clearly not it and they need to go to Obi Toppin and he won't do it. So especially in a game now, you're shorthanded with uh, Quentin Grimes out. So it kind of limits your options there in terms of playing small with, uh, you know, Josh Hart. It says, you know, will he really go to, you know, a, you know, power forward, you know, Obi Toppin to finish the game? And that's what he did. It was the, absolutely the right move. And yeah, I think it is time to be concerned about Randall because this is the second time now in the first round of the playoffs. I mean, and you really could look at it at now two separate five game sample sizes because yep. he played through five games, the first round against Atlanta. Now I've seen five games, first round against Cleveland. And it is like he has one of the, I think he may have the second worst effective field goal percentage, I think, in the history of the NBA playoffs for a guy that's played through 10 games i i saw the numbers before game nine and him and rj were second to last and third to last in effective efficiency now rj's now shot up so i think he's away from that but but randall was right there with rj and he's played even worse in new york so that those numbers have, are, are still there so he's going to be near the bottom i'm just looking at it now so he's played nine games there's the five against atlanta and then the four this series right, four yeah i'm thinking yeah oh, my bad. Oh, oh, this is he's shooting 30.8 percent from the floor his effective field goal percentage is 36.8 um so yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that of every player that's that's played at least nine games obviously a small sample size but still enough that's his entire postseason yeah. career um that you know it you know we talked about Barrett, how he stepped up, you know, in the postseason when when the lights get a little brighter. At yeah. least he has in, in games, you know, three and four. He didn't, but it, to, to, in fairness to, to Randall, maybe he can bounce back because Barrett yeah. was bad early on as well. Um, but it just seems like Randall, and now we have you know two separate se- whole season sample size and a little bit of a postseason sample size as well. Um, you know, maybe Randall's one of those guys that you need to get to the five seed and to to sock away um, regular season victories, and then in the postseason you let the Brunson and the Josh Hart's yeah. of the world kind of kind of carry you forward. Yeah, I mean this this playoffs has shown why the Jalen Brunson signing once again was an absolute needed move. Because imagine if God. Brunson isn't on his team and it's a different point guard. Maybe it's a decent player, but maybe it's not a guy of Brunson's caliber. And maybe the Knicks don't make the playoffs. But you would be yes. relying on Julius Randle to make these plays in the postseason, not Jalen Brunson. And they would what happened to the Knicks in 2021 would be happening today. They'd be down 3-1 headed to Cleveland or wherever they're playing for a road playoff game, and they'd probably lose. So, yep. like, that 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 signing was massive because, I mean, I think it's fair to say at this point, unless Randall can change the narrative, he just isn't a postseason player. He's not a guy that can be your number one guy in the postseason, and he's not a guy you can rely on. It's sad to say. And it's great that Knicks are winning despite that. And he's part of the yeah. team. So he can contribute any way he can. He needs to. Um, because this these are the teams they got. We're not gonna be making any trades during the trade during the postseason. So it is what it is. But I mean, this is I, I me mean, nine games is like this is who you are until you show me something else. Like RJ had a chance to change the narrative. He did. Julius Randle did not. Correct. And and the 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 Brunson thing, and we'll talk about this after the series is over. Um, you know, whenever it is, we'll talk about the elephant in the room being the Donovan Mitchell yeah. trade. But again, yeah. the ramifications of that deal, um, and people have talked about it. Uh, you know, the players that the Knicks didn't trade for have have you know made an impact. But the other thing to, to keep in mind here is obviously they didn't give up anything to get um Jalen Brunson. Um, uh, you know, they they signed him uh, with cap space via free agency, and they didn't. And they also the front office didn't trade for Dejounte Murray. Um, yeah. who's you know who's bumping refs, bumping referees, and yeah. looks like a defended. 
um, when they get swept, uh, gentlemen swept out of the playoffs in, in game right. five, Boston. Um, and the other thing, though, is, um, and I haven't heard people talk about it too much, if the Knicks make the Donovan Mitchell trade, even if they have Brunson, but if the Knicks make the Donovan Mitchell trade and give up four first-rounders and two swaps or three first-rounders, they don't have a first-rounder to trade to Portland for Josh Hart. So it's like yeah. he's the, he's an additional piece that you that you add to the team. Not only do you keep the guys you have, but you kept their, their, your draft capital, which enabled you to add Josh Hart. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, there's, there's you know, the, the value of, of IQ and Brunson and Hart um, and, and quickly and Obi and all the guys that they kept uh, versus the Donovan Mitchell has been one-sided heavily in favor of the Knicks. Again, you know, series is not over. Donovan Mitchell, yeah. if he averages 42 points a game, you know, over the final three games, then um, you know, we'll, we'll reassess things as we go along here. But um, certainly it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, trending in a positive direction for New York. It is. And I think when I think about Randall, I think one of the things that has stood out to me of why it's so alarming, why he's struggling, because this feels different than the Atlanta series. The Atlanta series, it was defensive were able to load up. They was a double. Um, he had to shoot over length. They were yeah. forcing him to go left, which actually was his detriment because right. he likes going right to go to his pull-up. And he didn't seem to have an answer for that. And it was like, well, this guy's a limited player. And, you know, if you can load up on this guy, like he's, he's not going to be able to make plays. This is entirely different. The Cavs aren't really loading up around like that because they're trying to take away Brunson. And Frangle's missing a lot of wide open looks. Yeah. And he missed some wide open looks in the Atlanta series too, but not as many as this. Uh, there are shots where there's just nobody near him. And he can't make shots that he normally makes. And that's alarming because it's like, well, is it just the pressure of the moment? Like, Is it just being in these games with, all these fans and, and the, the euphoria and the hype. I mean, he talked about how he felt uh, mentally at peace and he was so excited and he was going to have so much fun playing this postseason. And it was kind of crazy. I don't know if you, you watched the game on ABC on, on Sunday. You know, Mark Mark Jackson. Now, maybe Randall was doing this. I'm not saying he wasn't. Mark Jackson says, you know, one thing about Randall, you'll see, even though he's not in the game, he's up there cheering for his teammates, rah-rah and everybody. And the camera goes shot to Randall. He looks miserable. Yep. I'm like... Man, this may have been bad timing, but if that's what Mark Jackson calls rooting for your teammates and standing up and clapping for everybody, then I, we got different definitions. He did not look like a guy that was happy to be sitting on that bench. He looked like he was having a tough time with how the Knicks were finishing that game, which was, again, alarming because they were about to win the biggest game of the season. EJ, I thought for sure we would see a tweet that from somebody sitting in Section 106 with their phone firmly on Randall the entire fourth quarter and him just sitting like this. You know, sitting, right. I, you know, I wouldn't be yeah. shocked at all saying like the, the team's winning. Um, I'll take Mark Jackson's word for it. Right. Um, again, you, there were no, I didn't see any videos. I probably would have been tagged on yeah. something on Twitter had it, you know, nothing right. went viral. Um, I didn't hear any of the, the, the guys in the press box. I wasn't in the, in the, in the media section. Um, if I was, I would, I would have kept an eye on that situation, but we didn't see anything like that from anybody um, who would have kept an eye on, on such things you would think. Um, so um, again, we'll give uh, Randall should have talked to the media. He didn't. Maybe it was just better. He, he just went home and cleared his head. Um, it's 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 funny, man. We've talked about it from probably we discussed it in the first show we did back in December and then in January, February. You know, he's just a, such a unique player and that he's incredibly talented and physically gifted. But um, and and he's talked about how his mentals were great and he's never enjoyed yeah. playing basketball so much and he's looking forward to the series so much um, that his body language. Again, it's not just. That his 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 you know when he plays poorly he misses shots but he's still clapping and you know and, and getting everybody yeah. involved and trying to make up for it on the defensive end and doing the little things when things are going well he's an unstoppable force 
Um, but when things, you know, start to go in the wrong direction, they seem to snowball. Um, and it seems to impact him, his, his body language, his, the way he sulks around the court. Um, you know, those type of things that can have kind of an outsized impact um, that aren't necessarily reflected in the box sheet. Why so many fans were so down on him after the terrible, you know, 21-22 season. Um, the other, this, but this is what I'll say about Randall. In, in games like that, He's, you know, he's had, you know, weeks like that, and then he'll come out and have a 32 and 17, yeah, six yeah, assists. Exactly. It wouldn't shock me if he does it in Cleveland. He's just such an unpredictable player. So we'll see. We will see. And and the one thing I will say as well with Randall, which is maybe me playing a little armchair psychologist, but I felt like game one, he had that great first half and yeah. he made some key plays out win that game. I don't care what the stats you say. He had a good game one. Yeah. But like to me, I almost wonder if, like, the fact that it was all about the ankle, is the ankle stable? Is he ready to play? Will he be okay? What will happen? I almost wonder if in his head it almost kind of took away the pressure of the actual, like, game, like playing right. a game one of the playoffs. He's just worried about, can I finish this game? Will I be able to play? So your, your focus is kind of lasering in on just doing what you're supposed to do. And therefore he played well, and he felt he said he felt healthy. So I was wondering now that he knows the ankle is not going to be an issue. Now he is getting in his head. Now he's all right. Well, these are big games. And now we're in game two. We're trying to get his back to New York 2-0. And he plays terrible. Then they back home. It's all right. You got to keep home court. And yeah. then all that's not all. No one's talking about the ankle anymore. Maybe Tibbs putting the ankle back on the table will actually help him. Maybe you say, hey, he's not playing. He's not a healthy. He's dealing with that. Maybe he'll maybe take himself out of the pressure of the playoffs. But I, I've said, what's the difference between game one and how he started? He looked so at, he looked so great. He, he was engaged. Like, what happened? And the only thing I think it was like, well, he came to that game. Everybody was saying, well, can he play? Will he play in the series? And now that conversation is dead. And now all of it is, well, what are you going to do in these big games? And now he's struggling again. Good point. And the other thing is, like, in, in conjunction with that, the everyone asking questions about did the ankle coming into game one, had he had a built-in excuse. Not that he was going to use it, but he had a crutch right. there. Or just psychologically release some some weight off his shoulders. Be like, listen, if I struggle, it's not a big deal because nobody's expecting me to even play. So if I step yeah. foot on the floor, they think I'm Willis Reed. And then he goes right. out yeah. and, and has that has that good first quarter. And then in the, you know he's had two days off. The ankle looks fine. Okay, if I show that I'm healthy, now I gotta show that I can perform in the postseason. So maybe a little weighing on him, a little bit heavier. Yeah. Look, I hope Randall bounces back. I mean, yep. again, this is the next podcast. Like, it's like we talked about with RJ. But no one here rooting for Randall's demise. Like, we, they need Randall to play well they for Knicks to go yep. far. And yep. we, when you see how the, the playoffs are shaking out, Miami's up 2-1 now. Giannis has got to come back so they can win a game, must win game four. Like, things, like, the Knicks have a chance to do some things in this postseason, clearly now, as we see where everything's shaking out. They're going to need Randall to play better, so hopefully he can turn around. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll switch gears here and finish the show talking about another Nick that mixed, missed action this weekend. Um, it was not for benching for poor play, though he has not played well. But Quinn Grimes, uh, he missed game four with a, a shoulder contusion. He was a game-time decision coming into the game. Um, he didn't even come out to shoot around. So I almost wonder if the Knicks were kind of playing games with the injury report there because he didn't come out to shoot around. He wasn't around for the 1140 warm-up. So it, they knew he wasn't going to play. So Grimes did not play game four. He missed the second half of game three. That was the first time we learned that he was even injured. Josh Hart started the second half of that game. He started all of he started game three, uh, game four, uh, following that. So Grimes was seen on Sunday wearing a sling on the bench. 
Now, I looked at uh, Fred Katz's tweet. He said that that was seen or done as a precautionary move because he was sitting on the bench with a shoulder injury. He's close to his teammates, close to the action on the court, so they didn't want anything bad to happen to him because he's not protected in that situation. So uh, apparently he's still on the table for potentially coming back for a game five. They're listing him as day-to-day. Grimes so far has struggled this series with his shot and simply just being involved offensively in the series as a whole. He's shooting just 18% from the field. 11% 11% from three. He is again listed as day to day. Tommy, first off, do you think the Knicks can win this series without Quentin Grimes if that is what is needed? Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, it was just off on, on the second half of uh, game three on Friday night when they blew the Cavs out of the building. Um, yep. You know, uh, we saw in game four, they were able to secure a victory um, yeah, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, Grimes wasn't playing that well. And also, the Knicks, you know, one of their great strengths. Um, and again, we'll talk about it. You know, if, if the Cavs should be eliminated is when you invest a lot of assets into one player, it it dilutes your ability to kind of buttress the roster in other respects. Um, yeah. You know, IQ, even though he hasn't he's been he's been off, his shot hasn't dropped. Um, he's found ways to contribute by spacing the floor and also playing really well defensively. Um, I mentioned his struggles offensively. IQ is by far has the best net ratings plus 42 um, uh, on the court this wow. season is, which is by far um, the, the best of the Knicks and obviously the best of any player. Um, yeah. So you get more IQ minutes. Um, uh, and the other thing that, you know, we didn't even mention his name yet, but the five minutes that Deuce McBride contributed yeah. um, in, in game four Sunday um, really inspired. I, I mean, listen, it doesn't take, a, a, you know, a, a trained basketball expert to see. He comes in the game and it's hell on earth for who, whoever yeah. he's starting. Um, incredible point of attack defender, um, you know, gave fits whenever he's been in the series. Um, you know, it's 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 like the LeBron meme when he sees Kawhi check in and goes like this. You know, you know, you, you don't yeah. want to see that, that annoying guy. Um, we've all played against those dudes in, in various <laughs> you know leagues and, and pick up games. Like, oh, I don't yeah. want to deal with this guy. You know, I just want to have fun and play basketball. This guy's going to make my life a nightmare, you know, chase me 94 feet. Um, and that's exactly what, what Grimes is, um, McBride has done. So yeah. if Grimes put uh, up on Friday, um, you have Hart and, and Grimes and uh, uh, Hart and IQ. And then and, and obviously Brunson is going to play his minutes and RJ can swing a little bit, play some too. Um, and I'd love to see, uh, again, we've talked about it before the series, during the series, um, and it proved itself uh, again in game four. Give McBride three or four or five minutes a half. Yep. Um, and just, just to muck things up, just to change the flow, the tempo, especially um, if, if the team is struggling defensively. Because um, and, and then he obviously knocked down his only three-pointer, hit that three-pointer yeah. from the wing. So if he's, you know, if he can make shots, I mean, then it's just a, that's just cherry, cherry on the Sunday. So um, I think the Knicks have enough depth there to, to cover up, even if Grimes can't suit up. Yeah, I think there were two positives from Grimes not playing, even though, you know, Grimes is an important piece. Number one, I agree. McBride came in. I called for it after game two. He only played in garbage time in game three. I think he may have came in a situational situation, but otherwise just played the rest of the end of the fourth quarter. Um, But I said that I think you need to find five to ten minutes for McBride to play because those guards were getting so comfortable in game two that I think you just – needed to throw something different out there. Somebody was going to pick them up and, and make hell on earth for them, as you mentioned. Um, and interesting, they, they, some of the times they come in and put them on Karis LeVert, which I think has been a little surprising, but uh, you no, know, Karis LeVert's not used to playing against a guy like that either, and he was a guy that was giving the Knicks problems too, um, not so much in the games at Madison Square Garden. So I agree the McBride minutes were a plus. Also, I thought it actually allowed Josh Hart to really kind of like play a 40-minute game in, in game four and we know what josh hart brings to the table 
And not to say that Grimes can't do some of the things Josh Hart does, but considering how consistent, how reliable Josh Hart is, like knowing that I got 40 minutes, I know like that 19 and seven line in 40 minutes, like that, that feels like what Josh Hart would score if he probably played 40 minutes a night for an NBA team. You know, he'd probably give you something like along those numbers. Now, would you win a lot of games? I don't know. But in this weird series where you're trying to just match with the other team, like I'll take 40 minutes of Josh Hart if it means that those 20 minutes quitting grind where he's not involved, where he's not active, where he's not getting shots, where he's missing shots, and he's not bringing much to the table. If that means I can get 20 more minutes of Josh Hart and whatever that means, but I know a lot of it will be good, I'll take that. So to me, that's almost like a good trade for the Knicks where it's like, look, I, I got to r- ride hard a little longer, but I know I'm going to get a return on investment because of what he brings to the table, and I can mix in those five minutes of deuce. So in some ways, I would say it's a blessing, but I think it, it ended up helping the Knicks definitely in game four. And I think the Knicks will be okay if they don't have Grimes. It would be good to get him back in. Even if he comes back, I still think I would like to see more of Hart. I'd like to see more of McBride, get those guys in there. I, I think that Tim should just expand the rotation to 10 if if, uh, if Grimes comes back and just say, yeah. you know, again, McBride doesn't have to play 15 minutes. You can just right. play five, but just another body, just another guy to, to, to shake things up. I think that would be a benefit. But, yeah, McBride uh, really did good in those five minutes that he played. And and with McGrimes, I I will say this. I thought – I don't know what it's been with him in terms of why he struggled. I don't know if the shoulder thing. Like, I didn't see him actually get hurt. Like, I don't know what happened. So, I don't know if this is something he's been dealing with. And now it got to a point where they're like, he needs to sit. He can't play through this. And that is – maybe contributed to some of his shooting issues because he was shooting the ball so well coming into uh, coming into the postseason. And then like his shot just disappeared. It seems like. Yeah. I, I, we talked about the final nine games of the season averaged nearly 22 points a game, you know, slashing like 49, 42, 85, something like that. Um, you know, just uh, phenomenal numbers, um, terrific efficiency and, and just didn't have it going. It seemed like he was, when he went in, at, at halftime in game three, it looked like he's, you know, really dropped the shoulder. So it wasn't a lot of pain. I assume that was because of a hit, but maybe he was nagging him and then finally got, yeah. got charged again. Um, but it's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe that, that did contribute. Um, but again, it was a small sample size. Um, as we talked yeah. about, he only took seven shots over the first two games of the uh, uh, six shots, rather over the first two games of, uh, of the series four in game one and only two in game two. Um, so it wasn't like he had an opportunity to, to really contribute. They're going to need him, you know, um, if, and if they are able to advance the second round, um, he, again, over the second half of the season, he was one of the team's better two way players, um, you know, can score a really high clip. We, we you know, we, we sung jo- uh, Quinn Grimes praises uh, plenty uh, here on this yeah. podcast. So this is taking nothing away from him. But again, so again, the same thing with Randall. If he's not playing, get the guy out of there. This is this is yeah. not the year where you you know assuage you know massage guys' egos and all the other stuff. And like nah, like you got to produce or or it's a wrap. Um, and just in in kind of wrapping up, Josh Hart um, of all the many things he does and brings to the table. Um, you know, we talked about a guy. This is his first taste of postseason basketball. He's physically prepared himself um, for the battle. I mean, this guy is in phenomenal shape. You know, the, the, there was the joke on ABC. Yeah. I can play forty eight, um, and I don't doubt it. <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and joked about, you know, he like feeling like he's a defensive back and he, we could have played tight end in, in the NFL. Um, I don't doubt it. Um, this dude yeah. just is 100 miles per hour every single second he's on the floor, Mr. Everything Everywhere all at once. Um, sometimes that gets him into trouble. You know, he could he could relax and, 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 and peel it back out. He doesn't have to, you know, do his Euro, you know, uh, right yeah. to left to, to lay up every single time he gets near the basket and then complain to the refs. Um, he can he can pull it back out every now and then. But, um, you know, you don't tell him anything the way the guy yeah. plays 
inspires the crowd. Uh, you know, some guys are made to play in New York, and some guys are made to play in big games. Josh Hart is that dude. And finally, you mentioned that this was Hart's first go-around in this postseason, and it reminded me of something that has been one of the more annoying things about this series, which is J.D. Bickerstaff's excuses for why his team keeps losing. <laughs> and every game, it's something. First game, oh, first time we're in the playoffs. Then game, they lose game three, oh, well, it's first time on the road. And I, I legitimately was wondering what he was going to say after game four, because now you've played your first game on the road. You've played your first playoff game. Meanwhile, again, this is a team that has more playoff experience combined than the Knicks. And then he's saying, well, you know, this is something that guys just have to go through. And it's like, come on, man. Like, if I was a Cavs fan, like, this would this would drive me crazy. Like, like where is the sense of urgency? It can't just be, well, we're going through this thing and it's going to be tough until we figure it out. Like, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff has done a great job this season. He's done a great job since being hired as a full-time Cavs head coach. But, I mean, this commentary that he's been doing in these games and, you know, I know he wanted to – protect his guys saying my guys aren't scared of anybody or scared of any environment and then all right well then your team why does your team look like they're shook every time they start a game at the square guard you know so uh, that has been one of the things i've seen uh bigger staff and and the reasons i don't know some of this i think is him trying to explain away stuff for his team but to me i don't if i was a player i don't think i'd like to hear being like oh i i couldn't perform because i've never done this before like i don't know like I, that that doesn't feel like the right excuse to make in terms of a, a mentality because it suggests that you had no agency over the result. It suggests that there was you had no like whatever regardless of what you did, like you weren't gonna you were gonna fail. It's like well, that's the case. Then why am I doing all this? Why are we preparing to play a game that we're trying to win? If you're saying that, well, I came in already uh, with my one hand tied behind my back. So I feel like bigger staff. He I don't think he's coached a great series. I think he's been out coached by Tom Thibodeau. And I also think that some of these post game comments in terms of how he's trying to answer for how his team is playing have not been good. Agreed. Um, listen, we gave Bickerstaff credit for going to Levert more frequently, more often yep. in game two. Um, we talked about what adjustments would, would Tibbs made, and I think he's made the proper adjustments, deserves credit. Um, and I believe he is out coaching um, uh, Bickerstaff. Uh, one, you know, one for example, um, putting uh, actions in which Obi gets him going left, get, gets him going left and going downhill. Um, you know, Tibbs deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, again, it's it's coach speak. A lot of it's, you know, just, just trying to say some things. But um, again, and as we talked about, early on um the Cavs uh, collectively coaching staff players um look shook daddy um since setting foot on the guard <laughs> Friday yeah. and, and then again on Sunday so um can they bounce back on 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 Wednesday we'll see and that's uh I believe that's what we'll talk about tomorrow that's what it will be thank you guys again for checking out this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods a New York Knicks podcast Odyssey WFA and original Tommy let's people know where they can find you at Tommy Beer on Twitter you can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. And thank you guys for checking us out. This has been an awesome episode. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Orange Blue Bus. Make sure you keep it locked here. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.